This is where corporations have a responsibility. And unfortunately, the law doesn't apply to corporations as it does apply to countries. But many times, corporations have more impact in the environment, for instance, than countries themselves. And it's important to understand, too, that uh, there is no more than 10% of indigenous peoples around the world, but they keep protecting 80% of the most important natural world sites. That is just balance. So this is why um, it's important working with these people, and my work is just definitely influenced the bottom line, the base of my work, even if I work with technology. And that's something that not everyone understands, and people should, <laughs> in the technology <laughs> Greetings, everyone. My name is Alfredo Gonzalez Valenzuela, and you are now at the Climate Frontline. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. My name is Alfredo, and you are now at the Climate Frontline, the show where I engage with leaders across social movements, industries, artists. And we really have these conversations to centered the needs, the interests of those communities who are at the front line of climate change. And we are able to do this, our community is able to do this one conversation at a time. Hey, before we get started today, I wanted to welcome you to the sixth day of Community Week. It is a week where we change the narrative around what Thanksgiving is by centering our community. And today I want to have this conversation. I'm here with Marcela Cabrera Luna, una amiga mía eh, de Colombia. <laughs> eh, she is uh, someone who actually I met through Climate Week. Uh, we were just having, uh, we were listening to some amazing wisdom that was being shared by the indigenous peoples who were leading this, this event. And so I wanted to have a conversation with Marcela uh, about a couple of things. But first of all, um, welcome, Marcela, to the show. Thank you for joining me. Alfred, thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. Marcela, would you take some time to just uh, introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and some of your passions? Yes. Uh, so my name is Marcela Cabrera Luna, and uh, I was born and raised in Colombia, but I have spent the past uh, about 20 years in the United States, specifically in California, the Silicon Valley. And um, I did my undergraduate and graduate programs in um, California. In fact, I did my undergraduate in Berkeley. I am an anthropologist by training. And um, I did my graduate program at the University of San Francisco. So I never left, even though I've moved around a lot. My education was really pretty much in uh, the area where I've been, that I, the area that I call my second home, which is California, and more specifically the, the Silicon Valley. Um, I actually have been working for the past perhaps 15 years with uh, sustainability, climate, science, technology, and other more um, corporate roles. But uh, this is where my passion is, in sustainability and technology, and more specifically in clean technologies. I care about climate. I care about um, sustainable practices and about trying to um, transition the world into a more sustainable world through uh, the electrification of um, different systems, including transportation, uh, energy, and um, I do uh, care about sustainable food and, in general, just uh, making the world a more livable, sustainable place for all. And that means um, global inclusion. Yeah. So in general, my background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I, I appreciate you being here. And, and you already kind of touched on food. So I wanted to ask you. What, what's your favorite dish or, or fruit or, or whatever uh, comes to mind right now? What, what, is, okay. what is that? That's actually a great question. Uh, first, coming from a Peruvian. <laughs> but um, I have to say that I just love food. <laughs> I don't have issues 
eating. I do like to eat healthy. I am conscious about staying healthy, balanced, and, you know, eating good food. And eating good food means organic, sustainable, which has become in many ways unattainable for many people. But ironically is where it all started. And we do have communities that have always uh, eaten a little bit healthier than the standard commercialized uh, products produced. And um, I think that it depends on my mood. It depends on the day. But generally speaking, I do have um, some areas where I like the food from. And so that I can honor you with this, Peruvian food is one of my favorite kinds of food. You guys have <laughs> together. And uh, ceviches, uh, um, you know, causas, and bistec a lo pobre. I, I just love uh, the mixture, the different influences in that specific area of the world, Peru. That just makes it great. But I do uh, like some, I would say, have influence from California. Like California has very good food in general. And we have access to all. So, you know, I just miss Mexican food if I am in Europe and I'm, you know, like Asian, clean food. So, yeah, and Colombian food, of course. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, would you mind sharing what, what city um, you're, you're from in Colombia? Definitely. So I was born and raised. Actually, I was born in Bogota, but I was definitely raised in Ibagué. Um, it's a city in the center of Colombia in the Andes, and it's called Ciudad Musical de Colombia. It's a city that really lives uh, by music, breathes music. Everyone somehow at home plays an instrument, and they know about music and different genres, actually. It's pretty rich from that perspective. And the mountains, coffee, that's where I'm from. But I do have a Caribbean side of me, too, so I'm connected with the ocean, the north of Colombia as well, and the mountains. So California is kind of like that mix to me. <laughs> uh-huh. Cool, yeah. Okay, so you must have known about what Sampoña is for sure then, right? When uh, playing a song for you, I just thought, hey, you know, maybe she knows it. I just didn't know. <laughs> yes, okay, cool. Hey, so... Um, I know that you uh, you do some work around you know electrification of the transportation system and as well as you mentioned uh, transitioning away into uh, clean energy that is just for all and and as you think about that and you do that regardless of where you're at and particularly to the U.S. It, it's associated with this word development and here in in my podcast the Climate Frontline we focus a lot on the language, right? Because language is pivotal to understanding things and different people have different language for that. So I'm curious to know, how is it that you understand development? Sure. Um, I think that development, classically speaking, especially 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, has been about, has been about developing different um parts of uh, cities and countries, world, in terms of where is housing, where is um, industries, and, you know, always based on business and the stock market economics, but in a non-sustainable way, right? Uh, Think about the Industrial Revolution. Great for opportunities, booming new uh, ways, but uh, then it comes down to massive uh, commercialization of different uh, products and just really, um, just really not being sustainable and using resources and really uh, just. Um, not thinking ahead of time for what can be more sustainable for everyone. And as we move forward in, 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 the, in this world that has limited resources. So there has been a misconception of what development means. And of course, um, it depends on where we, 
where we are thinking of development. If I'm in the United States, what that implies. If I am in Colombia, what that means. And in other places around the world, but generally speaking, it has uh, become a trend that uh, involves what is supposed to be good, what helps people, but in reality, it's not involving everyone and excludes a lot of people, a lot of communities that are impacted by this so-called development. So that is in the, the classic definition, but uh, today we, we do have other uh, terms like sustainable development. So what does it involve, right? And as we were speaking before, um, does this have the input of communities that actually have been impacted negatively by this so-called development. And what does it look like today, especially if we talk about uh, one of the main issues we have today, which is climate, climate change. So I think anything we do today involves climate impact. So this is, um, I hope this uh, sort of like makes sense when we, when we talk about the classic term and what that means today and how we can change that term that also has, um, you know, sort of like being dismissive with um, uh, communities. If we look at, generally speaking, the world, indigenous communities, and maybe Blacks, and in the United States, what we know as Blacks, uh, Latinx, and Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you share that because... Uh, I agree with you, you know, there's development and there's sustainable development. And one thing I think that comes up for me is it's all language, right? And to to what extent do you think language plays a role in, in how you navigate the world and, and how you're engaging conversations, whether it's in Ciudad de Mexico, Colombia, or, or in the Silicon Valley, LA? Language is pretty important, right? Definitely. So when we speak about language, uh, we are defining uh, terms. We're defining uh, just different uh, initiatives, uh, laws, policy. But just like we spoke about development uh, in terms of language, how do we define these? Who is being involved in these definitions? And how is this definition or language impacting communities, right? Now, um, for us, being uh, bilingual and perhaps uh, speaking other languages, um, I think that from my personal experience, I do have an awareness and an understanding uh, of language from the perspective of cultural differences, experiences, and being able to communicate to... um, understand things differently as well and have a sensitivity to uh, things that other people don't. And um, the language is, um, symbolically speaking, also part of this experience of having lived in other places, right? Uh, Having been exposed to different cultures, being bicultural, I consider myself bicultural or in other terms, uh, there is a, speaking of language, um, term that is known as the third culture. What represents you? Because you've been influenced by having been born and raised in one place and then living half of your life in another place and living in other places where people just don't identify themselves with one specific place. Maybe they have a little bit of everything. So Absolutely. I do feel, of course, I am Colombian and I'm always going to be a Colombian. Um, but um, I am also California, you know, and I also spend time in Brazil, in the UK, and I love to travel. So um, I think uh, when, we come, when it comes down to language, um, it's such an important tool as well to be able to transfer these um, uh, parts where there are gaps for people, for people to understand not just literally the language part, but culturally, the context, and all this part. Now, when it comes to my industry, uh, technicalities, technical words, um, I feel like um, I need to talk about this at this point. Maybe we can uh, talk about it later, but 
uh, a lot of the words come from, um, they become slogans like clean tech, technology, EVs, e-transport, electric transportation, e-mobility, electric mobility. And mm -hmm. so, so I just think that they just have become slogans, you know, and people just talk about it like, you know, a new industry and, and, and something that is kind of like trendy. And in fact, is how do we, as you spoke, if, um, you know, if I talk to someone in a day-to-day basis, how can I make these in simpler terms that they do understand and mm -hmm. without being dismissive, without being, you know, but more like so that they, everyone has access. And I think I'm pretty good at with that, perhaps because of my own experience and sensitivities to these things. And uh -huh. I've been I, genuinely in this clean tech industry that for me is um, I can see when people do a lot of these kind of like trendy, but it's more about how do you work with this technology or field with communities and with different, with a, a broad range of people, you know? Yeah. So language is definitely important. And uh, I embrace my language, I, my languages. I have to speak Portuguese. I understand French. Você fala português também? Eu falo português. That's awesome. Uh, you know, uh, speak of language, there's this group you are associated with uh, in, in the Silicon Valley, right? That is for uh, Latinx uh, women, I believe. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about uh, what that is about? And, and um, Sure. It's at uh, Latinas in Clean Tech. So uh -huh. this um, is a group that just lately has been having more um, visibility, but it, it's been an idea. Uh, it's been more than an idea. Um, a platform for ladies like me and that, you know, for the past two years, it's been more like, okay, we need to do something about it. And I found it, uh, Latinas in Clean Tech. It's been happening for the past almost 10 years. Uh, I can say that as a Latina woman, as a Latina immigrant, um, educated in the United States and working in technology and more specifically in clean technology, I, I actually find myself like many other Latinas or Blacks or Native Americans um, in the room by themselves or um, sitting at the table by themselves speaking a unique language, speaking of language, uh, in this case, mm -hmm. tech, clean technologies and policy. And I just, there is a need. There was a need. I, I you know, we always... Uh, think of role models and we yeah. think of building networks and communities, especially in our fields, in our areas, because it is important uh, so that we can have the resources to support the community. And so I just found out myself, oh, I don't have a role model in this industry. Mm -hmm. I am my own role model and I'm building the path for other Latinas like me. So yeah. I am leading uh, in the field as a Latina woman. And, you know, just a simple example. Uh, today, everyone is more aware of climate. Everyone talks about it. Everyone is. Ten years ago when I talked about it, when I was in it, when I was, you know, uh, the technology found me. And I just kind of like, since I've, I am an anthropologist, I've been doing science. I love physics. I studied physics too. So uh, when I studied at UC Berkeley, my program was pretty broad and I took different courses. Most of my professors were attorneys, business people, and, mm -hmm. and anthropologists. So I... How, of, how do you relate to them? How do It's difficult, huh? Well, so... Again, I am also an anthropologist mm -hmm. studying in the United States at UC Berkeley, an amazing program where I am studying um, from my perspective as an immigrant, as a Latina, and 
hopefully understanding and representing and having a voice for the people that in quotes have been studied, the other, what is considered anthropology, the other. And now it's like the other is studying the other and uh, it's bringing a new experience, it's bringing a new perspective. So uh, it was unique, but I think there was, um, you know, classically speaking in the field, we have, you know, really wrong theories and perspectives, but um, I think I just did, you know, it was great to um, meet Native Americans in the field, Blacks, Latinx, and bringing just fresh perspectives, you know, from mm -hmm. the farm perspective, from indigenous communities. So anyhow, um, yeah. <laughs> we, um, we were talking about um, FinTech, we were talking about, so... And this amazing group that you started. So thank you for sharing that. I I kind of wanted to leave it open for you to, you know, tell that story. And so congrats on that. And I think it's a need that has been there, is there, and will continue to be there. So yeah, uh, I would like to say that it, with that group, it's been a platform. And actually, it just sort of like formalized. But we are uh, working with a board of, our group of uh, board of directors. And honestly, it's a group that will help us create a community, uh, not just for networking, but for supporting, for resources, for uh, learning, mentorship, and actually uh, professional opportunities. Uh, because Absolutely. we just started, and again, all these women just, you know, connect via LinkedIn. And I'm glad and I'm happy to do that. And it will continue to grow. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that because I think for me, it was difficult to see myself in a sustainability career when I didn't see people who I was able to relate to. So what you're doing, I think, will be transformational because folks who want to step into this space, a youth who may be listening to this podcast right now may say, oh, I want to step into that. And uh, they have now one person that they can see themselves in, you know? And so... Um, I want to spend some time, I, there's this question that I w would like to spend some time on with you, but it's been interesting to e even uh, hear you speak about language because you use the term slogans, right? And that was something new to me. I haven't heard that. Uh, not that I didn't know the word, but like, you know, slogans is uh, uh, slang, diction, uh, abbreviations, acronyms. There's many words for language, right? Uh, but to get to my question, it's it's unique to have you say also that, you know, sometimes you're the only one in the room and, and I can really empathize with that. And from a policy standpoint, theoretically speaking, because there's a, in the practitioner side, right? When we talk about clean energy, I think we talk about it as means of deviating from fossil fuels, oil, gas, um, even coal, right? Mm -hmm. And these things need to be powered by batteries. They need batteries. And so that ultimately leads to lithium. Mm -hmm. And when I was visiting Salar de Uyuni in Bolivia, I got to meet a lot of the miners there and form relationships with them and get to know their kids. And so this is a bunch of lithium, the highest concentration of lithium in the world. Mm -hmm. And these people... Um, I often hear, hey, we need to bring them to the table. Well, you know, how are they going to get to the table over here? You know, it's almost like we need to go to them. And yeah. so I'm curious to know when we're talking about moving towards a clean energy economy, I don't think depending all on lithium and extracting it from the example of Bolivia is going to be sustainable, quote unquote, sustainable, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering your thoughts on that. And is that something the folks in the clean tech space are thinking about or i'm just curious to know just because that's not my industry and and i would love to hear from from you of course uh it is actually a very important area especially today is becoming even more relevant because uh, i think there is more interest in understanding the sustainability part of how do we go about the batteries and how do we go about you know, the, the sites, the demand. So pretty much, um, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, the suppliers, uh, where they use uh, cathodic, uh, where they use uh, lithium-ion batteries and 
So I think that one of the most important issues right now that is actually a hot topic is sustainability issues and the market concentration and, you know, just spoke about the mines. So the demand, how do we ba balance these? Where do we find it from? And because we cannot just uh, go on one side, you know, directed to one side. And how do we actually go about, you know, reusing, um, disposing, and making it even more sustainable, right? So I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to continue to be a very interesting topic. And I think, uh, especially in the last few weeks, people are talking more and more about it. Um, it has to do with the mining, and it's a very key, important keyword you use uh, because of these issues that I just mentioned and also inclusion when you are talking about, okay, who is involved in this conversation, right? And we need to talk about the miners. We need to talk about the miners from other places around the world. And that's going to continue to be, again, a very important area when we think about electrification of vehicles and batteries. Yeah, and there's also different types of batteries, right? I mean, cars are still going to need the lithium batteries. The iPhone that someone may be using to listen to this podcast, lithium batteries, but there's also other alternatives in terms of batteries for larger storage and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I was just curious to know, you know, um, Because it, it's an issue that that I, I think we're going to have to face, and and I think the more we talk about it, the the better, right? Yeah, and also you know, uh, speaking of resources, uh, cobalt, nickel, and or nickel. Uh, so it's pretty much, um, yeah, definitely, it's 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 important. It's a very important area. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, it was important to ask this and kind of make this space because a lot of these folks are at the front line of climate change. And so centering them in these conversations, uh, I think there's plenty of, of uh, attention geared towards, okay, let's put these e-vehicles out there. Let's put these charging stations out there. And the other side is, is not really grabbing much attention. So, yeah, uh, I know you are or have uh, a piece out with uh, USF, USF, University of San Francisco. Would you tell me a little bit of what's going on there in, in terms of policy and, and, and maybe even using the example of, of what we were just talking about, right? Because it's, you're trying to find some balance there. I can see it uh, between different players, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, will you be more specific uh, with the University of San Francisco? I'm sorry, can you reframe your question? Yeah, you shared with me this piece uh, earlier today about uh, some policy work that you're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to find out a little bit more of who actually wrote it and, and you know, uh, what's going on there. Uh, yeah, so I actually wrote a global policy and this is uh, regarding land grabs, um, oil extraction, and the issues that the oil industry, uh, you know, bring and what is involved in these uh, structures. So, so that I can be as succinct as I can, um, this work uh, started several years back. In fact, I, I do understand that I have a very unique background, very specialized in unique areas. Uh, because of who I am and also what I've chosen and my, what I have liked, what I study and uh, the industry that I'm in, uh, all together has been an, an interesting journey, but um, something that needs to be, uh, you know, uh, that, that I, I need to highlight that this work, because I did uh, study science, I had my interest in energy, physics, and this comes from high school back home. Uh, but I also was exposed to the issues in Colombia and Latin America with mining, with oil extraction, with um, oil spills, and especially in Colombia in the 80s and 90s. I grew up in the 80s in Colombia. So you know what that means. It involves a lot of politics, a lot of, and um, a lot of, uh, Issues that even today we face with um, land. And 
the fact that we had oil and, you know, has been part of the economy, but also it has, it has brought some other uh, issues. And aside from the sustainability part that in the 80s and 90s was important, but today is even more relevant with climate, um, I had that background already. But uh, before I even I started in the cleantech industry, my work was inspired. And really the basis for this is my understanding of these specific issues, sustainability issues, and what communities such as indigenous communities, specifically in the Amazon rainforest, mm -hmm. um, what this means because the, there is a lot of oil there. And for the past almost 30, 40 years, and specifically in Ecuador, in the Yasuni ITT Park, mm -hmm. is where we find the most oil, one of the sites that have, uh, has the most oil around the world. And it's been very crucial for understanding emissions, corporate social responsibility, understanding what's behind it, and the communities impacted by it. And even though they do have um, the right to decide if these projects should be happening or not, but again, it always goes with the policies and the politics of the country. So with these, my background was influenced and has been even today what I do. And I say, I say it's unique because I just don't talk technology. I don't see at a business meeting, speaking of, you know, business development, a deal. I always have in mind what this work means, how it impact, impacts people, and why I'm here, right? Um, I found that clean technologies is what really um, is sort of like a radical solution to the problem. That's how I found it. Because when we work only on the laws and the policies, and it, it, it just takes too long. And we need to make radical changes because climate is not waiting for us. <laughs> it's just happening if we don't improve our ways. So um, it takes a special consciousness. And yeah. I am very connected with indigenous communities. I've been adopted by indigenous communities. I've been given um, the basis to interact with them. And in fact, they are the most connected people with nature. They know how to Absolutely. use nature. And even if we go back in time from in the Americas, if we look at when Hernan Cortez got here in uh, Mexico, Yucatan area, or John Locke, everyone, is, everyone who studies law and policy knows John Locke and yeah. private uh, property and liberty. We talk about what gives you property gives you liberty. So how they saw that indigenous communities were not managing the land and actually they have been managing the land in their own ways because they gave the time uh, sustainability again to the land. And I came down to use the science, the technologies, so, and the policy to make um, changes, positive changes, and uh, to move in the right direction. So this is actually the work that you can see at the University of San Francisco was my thesis work. Um, I could have published a book about this, but I just left it like that. And it has lots of references with issues in Ecuador, in California, in Nigeria. Ecuador and Chevron, yeah. And so as we know, um, um, Chevron has had a strong impact in the Amazon rainforest mm -hmm. for the past almost 25 years uh, going on and still working on this. And we're talking about law. We're talking about international law, international mm -hmm. legalities. We're talking about how the laws from the United States won't apply there or vice versa. So how do we have an international court to define what's the issue and the accountability, corporate social responsibility. And that has been, I think, a good example to show how companies like BP, Chevron, Shell, 
where it's Canadian, British, American, or Chinese companies have had mm-hmm. an impact. And actually, despite all the stuff um, happening over the years that we've been also using oil and anything that comes from this uh, industry, um, we are moving to a more sustainable direction. And even these companies already know that things will continue to change and the game is changing and they have to divest and they have to move uh, into investing and they are doing that now when even when they work and they still some of, of these um, companies and people insist in sticking to it and but we know that that's just not going to happen and we will continue to move in that direction just like it happened with the car industry and Having worked, for instance, at Tesla and seeing how our, our big boss, Elon Musk, opened the patents information for all the car industry to really move in that direction, yeah. um, makes it, aside that, it makes it more competitive. It's more like, all right, if we, if we stay with this, we're not going to move. We're not going to, it's not going to happen because everyone is going to continue going with the EV direction. But even now in California, um, the California Air Resources Board and get, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor, just signed. And from 2025, yeah. 2030, they, they, there are no more, uh, you know, uh, oil cars on the, to be new, to be purchased. It has to be electric vehicles. And California yeah. is leading the way, you know? So this yeah. is all in this writing. And you can understand more about different, you can go by parts and you can understand, you know, different topics and different if you are interested the, the, the last part is more focused on initiatives for the for this time and technologies and so on yeah i love the first couple words on, on the title just the role of the state because it gets them it sets the tone already of like hey you know there has to be a different role in all this and you touch on so many things you know not only the rainforest but then indigenous people it's just you're covering a lot of bases and what i heard from you when you're speaking just now is the the influence that your upbringing had right in being able to develop uh something that was congruent with with what you knew based on your life experiences being in different places and i think when people develop policies ultimately their life journey right their walk of life influences how they develop those so it's a really interesting piece i i'm gonna have to spend more time reading through it but thank you for sharing that i think um in in many ways you're making your like like you said you know you're filling in some voids in academia that are missing and it's nothing new per se it's just things that uh, the native people the indigenous people have known and it's just not available in 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 these other spaces right yeah i just wanted to say um that the role of the state is because we have an applied laws mostly to states but this is where corporations have a responsibility and Mm -hmm. unfortunately the law doesn't apply to corporations as it does apply to countries but Mm. many times corporations have more impact and environment, for instance, than countries themselves. And it's important to understand, too, that uh, there is no more than 10% of indigenous peoples around the world, but they keep protecting 80% of the most important natural world sites that yeah. is balance. So this is why um, it's important working with these people, and my work is just definitely influenced the bottom lines, the base of my work, even if I work with technology. And that's something that not everyone understands and people should <laughs> in the technology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, it was amazing also to hear that because you're working with so many of them that they have, you know, um, invited you to be part of that community. And I think when I think of the term credit, you know, there's the credits in schools you can take. Well, the credit that you're earning by, um, you know, being part of those communities, I think is harder to get one and two like a lot more valuable to me because most of the most important lessons that i've learned have been 
mistakes that, you know, indigenous people pointed out to me, lessons that I had to learn with, uh, with tears really. Right. And, uh, to me, I recently, I read someone ask, you know, Hey, what other sustainability accreditation programs are out there? And I didn't say this and replied, but I thought to myself, well, uh, who are the native people near you? And, and how about engaging and getting credit from them? I think that would be just as valuable, if not more, a lot more valuable, because they're going to teach you some lessons that are going to transcend any carbon emissions models. They're going to transcend any other types of uh, you know, sustainability or the mainstream sustainability movement. So thank you so much for that. It's you, I think we can both continue on and on about this conversation because we barely scraped it, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm curious to know, um, especially with this organization that you founded, you know, youth may be listening to this podcast and we already got a chance to talk about the language and the importance there. But I'm curious to know, what message would you send youth who are listening right now and they're considering an opportunity in clean tech or they're considering an opportunity doing some of the work that you have done already. What is the message that there? Sure. Um, I think that the new generation tends to be more aware and we've seen it, especially with the work that I do in climate and sustainability through clean technologies and sustainability initiatives. I think that they are going to be even more aware because, um, again, we are limited with resources and that's what they get, whatever we leave for them. So they are really becoming um, part of the, the frontliners, right? Uh, because they just need an opportunity to continue, you know, here, living in this world that we have. <laughs> so... That's that. Um, it's important to create communities, uh, finding allies, uh, whether it's with other kids, other youth, and other people who are uh, working on whatever the um, motivations are for each, you know, and always finding mentors, always finding organizations and communities is important. Um, I hope that with my organization, uh, they can always connect through LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter. They can just connect. Um, but uh, I'm always happy to uh, also connect with them if they want to reach out to me. They can do via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. But um, again, as we continue to move in the right direction with more sustainable practices. I like to think that it's called having people, um, more people, Latinas, Latinx, Native Americans, and Blacks in the conversations and taking the lead so that they can have, they can be role models and they can um, leaders and other people can connect with them to have these role models, at least to have more community so that there is support and resources. Um, so looking for resources, outreach, and just connecting, just reading yeah. the initiative and no, just saying there and thinking that, why am I going to do that? Or it's not going to happen because I don't feel that I see other people that look like me or who knows. But no, just really look for those people because you will find them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I have a friend of mine. Her name is uh, Sandra Ponce de Leon. She's also from Peru. And she's in, in you know, similar space to you. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, because I've asked her this too, I've asked her this too, is that when you, you, you know, you're, you have a lot of things you're balancing already. Um, and then you're trying to create even more change, which is really admirable, right? And where is it that you're getting hope in all this? What is, where is it that you go to get some fresh air with each challenge you face each day? Thanks for that question. Um, I just um, found my passion. I found it years ago. Uh, 
I do have different interests and likes, but I kind of like fusion all of them and it took me to where I am today. Um, so I just try to stay true to myself, to my values, my principles, what I believe is important. And this is what is important to me, right? This area. And um, of course, as any other human being, we do have our days in which, you know, where is the routine, where is um, not seeing things happening fast enough or why not? I just think that it's important just to stick to it, uh, be patient and just keep going and be true to yourself because you know that you're going in the right direction and always finding communities and people and support. Um, so that's sort of how I stay uh, balanced. And of course, I mean, I do have my other routines where I try to find um, traveling more fun and also connect with, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I like to travel whenever I can. I get a chance. I'll try to do something new, get to know new places, cultures, food. I enjoy food, so I like to explore, hiking, anything nature, right? I don't yeah. know, for reason. <laughs> uh, anything nature, but I do enjoy as well keeping myself updated with um courses of interest and it could be when i have the time because i tend to be pretty busy actually but i do have an outlet and it's road biking too uh, it's part of my culture I, in colombia ciclovia is um, something that i grew up with and people just ride bikes and today is an important thing too <laughs> and i just do that whenever i can just get away for one day, all day out, do as many miles as I can, come back home and, you know, just um, that motivation is change, you know, it's a uh, positive impact, it's more sustainable ways and creating more communities, becoming more connected with people. And I would say going back to the basics where we have started, you know, and, and it's an important concept to be more connected with ourselves and others. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think being true to yourself is definitely something that resonates with me and being connected to how is it that we connect to nature and how is it that we connect to each other? Right. And it's a lot more than just brands. <laughs> it has to be a lot more than just brands. Uh, tell me, Marcela, what is the best way for folks to engage with you and um, find out more about your work or, or just develop that relationship with you if they're interested in, in, in getting in, t in contact. Definitely. So I guess the best way is um, if for other Latinas interested in this area, definitely connect with the organization uh, just via LinkedIn and other groups um, online. And, you know, you can also contact me via LinkedIn, just my my name and and if I can be a resource and I can provide any uh, genuine perspective on um, any advice, uh, I would be happy to do that. And that's of course for anyone, any background, anywhere. And it's fourteen um, hours. I understand it is also a unique field, and hopefully my background feels more familiar to people who, in quotes, have been unique in, you know, what they do. So um, I would be happy to, I would be open and always happy to connect with people. Absolutely. Thank you so much. As we part ways, Marcela, any other last thoughts, messages, or words of wisdom that you would like to share with uh, my audience? It's been a pleasure to have you. So please uh, share any last thoughts you may have. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me again, Alfredo. It's been a pleasure speaking and being connected with, uh, from whatever perspective, you know, and what's the bottom line, which is climate sustainability, where you're working in social justice, directly with the technologies, the products, as I have, or just working with um, people in the field, indigenous communities, uh, the frontliners, right? Um, I think that. Um, it's been a great opportunity, and again, I'm always happy to talk to more people who find themselves, uh, you know, trying to learn more about the field 
and uh, just connect with the right people, the right groups. And also, I would send a message to, especially in this time, this unique time that has hopefully helped us understand um, how the importance of human relations, right? And how companies and organizations um, can do better in terms of uh, connecting with everyone and opening up opportunities, uh, roles, and groups where we can just be ourselves at work um, in our life, right? Because we should be able to, um, especially in the United States, where there is uh, so much important difference, but coming together and how we can just show up, you know, the way we are and what our differences, our contributions, and how it helps us uh, become better with better teams, with stronger teams and perspectives. And yeah, that's my message for from the industry perspective as well. Well, Marcela Cabrera Luna, muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much for being at the show and uh, we'll be in touch soon. I would love to have a, a, a separate conversation where we can talk about uh, our upbringings and all these things we've discussed. I think uh, being true to yourself is really something that uh, resonates with me because, you know, we're balancing this English, Spanish, Portuguese and many other things that are on the plate, right? And we want to make this delicious food. So I hope we can be in touch soon to continue this conversation in Espanol. Yeah. Un abrazo, cuídate. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Ciao. Gracias. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Marcela. Please take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcast or simply send me an email. I just appreciate hearing what you are getting from this podcast. We are found in all major podcasting platforms. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I will see you at the next last episode of this season tomorrow. Bye-bye. The communities who are experiencing the worst effects of climate change are those who are best positioned to innovate solutions. Thank you for tuning in and being part of the Changing the Narrative. See you next time at the Climate Frontline.